Amen. Good morning. Let's stand together and worship this morning. Yeah. 
amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today. We are so excited to have you with us for worship this morning. If you are a first-time visitor with us, we have a gift for you out in the Welcome Center. But we are so glad to have you with us today here in person and visiting with us on our live stream on Facebook. So let's turn and greet one another this morning, and we'll continue to worship here in just a minute. The way, the truth, 
Good morning, church. Happy New Year. You all wake up a little bit. Happy New Year. Thank you. Did the pulpit on? Okay. Well, this morning, I'm so grateful to be in a church that believes in the power of prayer, aren't you? Amen. So we're going we're gonna to come together. We're going to pray at this time. So if anybody wants to come and, and pray with me here at the altar, I invite you to come. to proclaim that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you are the God who led the Israelites out of captivity. God, that you are the God who lifts up nations, who tears down nations. You are the God who provides for us. You are the God who sustains us. And God, we, we don't deserve all the grace and the mercy that you give us, but God, you give it to us so freely. So God, this morning we want to come before you and just humbly accept it. We want to come before you, Lord, and to bring our requests to you. God, that you would bring healing, 
to all of our friends and family who are dealing with sicknesses. God, that you would bring peace and comfort to those surrounding them, to our own hearts. God, that you would forgive us of our sins, for we have all fallen short of your glory. And we are all in need of a Savior. God, we ask that you forgive us and help us, Lord, to, to overcome the temptations that we face daily. God, this morning I want to lift up a special prayer for Miss Vivian Lester, Lord, that you would be with her, that you would heal her body, Lord, and that you would uh, bring comfort and peace to, to Pastor Todd and the rest of the family. And, and the, uh, I know Tim and Jenny are here, Lord, we just pray that you would give them peace while they're here. And Father, we, we ask that you will um, comfort them and uh, give Pastor Todd the, the assurance that he's exactly where he needs to be, because I know he wants to be with us on a Sunday morning as usual, but he is right where he needs to be. So God, we just pray that you will uh, bless them and that God, you would bless this service, that you would uh, speak through me as I bring a message this morning, Father, and that you would let every word spoken, every meditation of a heart just be pleasing unto you. God, thank you for who you are and thank you for all that you do for us. Because we surrender all of our praise, all honor and all glory to the holy name of Jesus Christ, our King. And all of God's people agree and said, Amen. Well, this morning our scripture reading is going to come from uh, uh, Gospel according to John, chapter se- uh, seven. Goodness, chapter six, verses twelve and thirteen. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, "Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted." So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Will you all stand as we continue in worship with how great is our God? Amen. Stand together and sing. Age to age is ten. 
proclaim that together again. Born in things above expect that from you. Weren't you the kid who duct taped a sixth grader to a flagpole? You did what? Or the time that you um, put a skunk in Principal Wallaby's car? Huh? Or the other time where you stole Mr. Ratcliffe's keys and put it in the classroom fish tank? Oh, wow. I don't know, Bailey. Just after he said all that, it really didn't make me feel like a good person. I don't know how I can truly follow Jesus with all this stuff in my past. The skunk, the sixth grader. And <laughs> don't forget about the keys in the fish tank. <laughs> but none of that matters, Martin. All throughout the Bible, we read about people who have messed up, but that doesn't mean God stops using them. Uh, here, check this out. In Genesis 50:20, Joseph says this to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph's brothers had already lied about his death and sold him into slavery, but Joseph continued to trust God and was able to reconcile with his family. So God will even use the bad for us? Exactly. Even though you've messed up, God used that stuff to show himself to you. And you know you need a savior now because you realize that you've made mistakes. Okay, that makes sense. 
And God still uses us by giving us opportunities to show just how much he's changed us. But what about all the time I've wasted? In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds thousands of people by using only two fish and five loaves of bread. (laughs) After everyone had eaten their fill, Jesus told the disciples this in verse 12. Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Every piece of bread and fish was picked up after the miracle, and it was enough to fill 12 whole baskets. Jesus didn't want to waste a single piece of food, not a single opportunity for someone to be fed. So if God didn't want to waste a single fragment of food, that means that he doesn't want to waste a single opportunity of my life? That's right. I think I understand. So even though I've made those bad mistakes, that doesn't keep me from sharing the good news that Jesus paid for those bad mistakes. Exactly. And... The way you live your life now just shows how much he's changed you. I mean, you don't still go around duct taping sixth graders to flagpoles, right? Right. Thank you, Bailey. This has been very helpful. Of course. I'm always happy to talk. I'm going to go talk to my friend now. I think I know what to say. So I know that uh, one of those students is here with us today in our services, probably cringing at seeing herself on the, on the screen. Can we give her a round of applause? I'm so proud of our students. They, uh, they're so willing to help me out whenever I say, hey, I wrote a script, and even if it's cringy to you, they'll still come in and help me out with it. So I'm so grateful to have students that'll jump in and do ministry. Um, so good morning. My name is James Coleman. I'm the student minister here. And I am uh, so grateful to Pastor Todd that he uh, would trust me yet again to fill the pulpit and bring a message to you this morning. And I'm grateful to you because you decided to spend your New Year's Eve Sunday here with us for worship. Um, Today, we're going to usher in New Year. So have any of you uh, made any New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Not really? Okay, there wasn't very many in the first service either. How about anybody going to stay up till midnight to watch the ball drop? couple okay i see a few hands all right so i promise i will try to be finished before midnight okay i will try so this morning i want to walk through one of jesus's miracles you probably figured it out based on the video but it's the only miracle apart from the resurrection that is recorded in all four of the gospels okay so that puts a pretty big spotlight on this miracle i would use the word and i I do use the word recorded very intentionally because we are uh reading something that is not fantasy we're not reading something that's myth and it's not the random ponderings of some person back in history but this what we're reading is history recorded history written down by eyewitnesses and corroborated by other eyewitnesses so we know it's true and trustworthy history just like all of scripture and the uh, miracle i want to walk through is found in matthew 14 it's found in mark 8 Luke 9 and John chapter 6. And we're going to focus in on John's account this morning, and I'll jump, jump into the other ones just a little bit as we go. Um, but this is the time when Jesus fed over 15,000 people. Okay? When Jesus fed over 15,000 people. We're going to start in John 6, verses 1 through 4. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. So when the text says sometime after this, then we we get a clue that there is something that has preceded this event. 
And if we look in Matthew 14, we'll get the immediate context. Because John 6, it kind of starts right into, right into what this miracle is going to be. But in Matthew 14, we get the immediate context of what happened before. And what happened before surrounds uh, Herod the Tetrarch. And how Herod the Tetrarch had fallen through the wiles of a young woman who come to his court to entertain and dance. Well, he, he has this crush on her, right? But her mother sees the opportunity to make a request of Herod. And so through her daughter, she sends a request to Herod to say, bring me the head of John the baptizer on a platter. That's what, that's what her request is. So what does Herod do? No, that doesn't seem right. No, that's not what Herod does. Herod sends word to the prison to have John beheaded and to bring his head to the, to the young woman on the platter. So at the death of John the baptizer, uh, his disciples come and gather, gather his body. And there were two of Jesus' disciples that used to be John the Baptist's disciples, and that was Philip and Andrew. So at this point in time, Jesus' disciples were also out doing ministry. Jesus has sent out the twelve. So the rumor mill happens, and the news of John the Baptist's death comes back to Jesus, and he gets word of it. And that's where we pick up in in uh, John 6. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is 100% God, but he is also 100% man. This is the the great mystery of the incarnation, that Jesus Christ is God. He entered the world through human, right? He entered the world through humanity, through Mary. He experiences human emotion. He experiences human hurt, human temptation, every bit of it. Jesus is human, but he's also fully God. And he's able to do more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. In these moments, I can see Jesus retreating to the mountain to mourn the death of his cousin. Being surrounded by his disciples. Comforted by his disciples. After all, John was imprisoned for preaching the coming kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. He was imprisoned and eventually killed because he would call out world leaders. He did not back down from world leaders and he would call them out for their sin. He would call them into a godliness, a holiness that was based on the message of Jesus. So I wonder if in this moment Jesus experienced sorrow, if Jesus experienced guilt, if he experienced anguish or depression Maybe even a little bit of anxiety because now he is training up 12 disciples to go out into the world and and face persecution. He knows what their future is going to bring. So I wonder if Jesus felt maybe a little bit of anxiety in those moments. And all while experiencing these things, surrounded by his disciples, there's a crowd approaching Jesus. There's a crowd coming. And Jesus doesn't need to post regularly on Facebook or Instagram to gain or maintain a following, does he? It's okay, you can talk back to me, okay? Uh, He doesn't have to do that on Instagram. You know, um, people heard of Jesus through his healing work. People heard of Jesus through the passing rumors. I just saw him in this town. He was going this way. And then he had some people that would follow him like we would follow a band during Woodstock, right? They, they They would follow him everywhere he went. But in our culture today, social media is more of a personal marketing tool, right? We have, we have trained ourselves to be the most filtered narcissist that we can possibly be. 
And Jesus, his following was not based on his looks. His following was not based on his vacations or his restaurants or what food he ate. You know, he didn't pick up a phone and snap a selfie with the boys at Matthew's. You know, he didn't do that. That's not, that's not what his ministry was all about. Jesus was focused on one thing. He was focused on the people. His mission to save the people. We see it multiple times that when the scriptures talks about a crowd. He says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus was focused on the people. The text says that this occurred during the time of the Passover. It was, it was near. Meaning that there would have been people preparing to leave that area, that be, the area of Bethsaida, and travel down to Jerusalem. They were going to celebrate, so they were buying up food. The stores were emptying. Uh, store owners were closing up. And the towns were gradually emptying during this time. But before we move on, like, what is the Passover festival? Like, what is, what is Passover itself? It is where they celebrate the day that God spared their firstborn in Egypt. When God instructed Moses to tell the Israelites to, to take an innocent, perfect lamb, slay it, sacrifice it, and paint its blood over the doorposts of their homes. So when, when the angel of death would pass by, he would pass over their homes, and, those, and the firstborn in those homes would be spared. That's the day that they're, that they're celebrating, is the day that God's mercy was shown when the angel of death passed over those homes. We're going to keep that in mind as we move forward, because it'll make sense a little bit later. But John 6, 5 and 6, as we continue, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Jesus was testing Philip. Okay, what, what kind of test was this? Somebody tell me, what kind of test was this? I'm treating, I'm treating you like the youth group. It was a test of faith. It was a test of faith, absolutely. So in, in his test of faith, Jesus poses this question and gives Philip an opportunity to say something. Philip could have said... Lord, at your word, you can make bread fall from heaven and feed all those people just like you did in the Exodus with the manna as it fell from heaven every day for the Israelites to eat. You could do that same thing right here, right now. But is that what Philip said? No. No, we see what Philip said in the next verses. In John 6, 7, Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Does that sound like a faithful response? Not really. <laughs> he's sitting there beside God who has fed thousands before. He's, he's sitting there beside God and he gives them this answer that says, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough food, we don't have anything. We, we ate what we had last night. Like We, we can't do this. Where are we going to get all that? It's not a faith-filled response. And then Philip's uh, lack of faith here is also contagious because we see it come out in the next, in the next verses too with Andrew. In 8 and 9, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? I could just imagine being there with them. Jesus leaning over to Philip, 
and posing the question, and then the murmurs start, right? Well, he's right. Where are we going to get all this food? He's right. Like, I, we, we, we hate everything. We got nothing left. They might have something, but I don't, I don't think we have enough. You know, the, the rumors, the murmurs just start. The anxiety starts to build. And Mark's account makes it worse, because Mark's account records that this crowd was with, with them for three days, with little to no food to eat. This crowd had been following them for three whole days. I can just, I can feel the tension in my spirit, similar to uh, when the disciples were on a boat in the middle of a storm. The winds, the waves, the rain just all over them. Jesus is sleeping, but they're out of their minds, scared about the possibility of drowning. But what does Jesus say? Somebody tell me, what does Jesus say? Peace, be still. Peace, be still. But in this moment, they were faced with a test of faith, and they failed. Let's shift our gaze to the boy for a moment. It's likely that the disciples started anxiously asking around, you know, who has food? Maybe somebody here could have something that we could make work, you know. So they start asking around. It's possible that this boy gets up seeing them asking for food and trying to find an answer this boy gets up and offers his food his little bit of food andrew the bringer does what he does best and he brings (laughs) andrew the bringer brings him to jesus with his offering of five small loaves of bread and two small fish it's likely that this was going to be this boy's lunch maybe even his dinner for that night you know but what do we see we see a small offering For a cause that is much bigger than they're prepared for. We see a small offering for a cause that is much bigger than they're prepared for. Matthew records that Jesus says this. Bring them here to me. In Matthew 14, 18. Bring them here to me. Our God is a multiplier. Amen? Our God is a multiplier. He takes what is insufficient and he calls it abundance. It's a beautiful thing. It's God math, right? (laughs) He takes what is insufficient and he calls it abundance. Andrew said, how far will they go among so many? And I agree, indeed, how far will it go? Because in my hands, it would only go maybe so far as two people, and those people would likely walk away hungry even more, right? Maybe I want want some more. I got a little bit of food, but I need a little little more. So in my hands, yes, it's insufficient. In Philip's hands, in Andrew's hands, in Simon Peter's hands, it's insufficient. But Jesus says, bring them here to me in the right hands, in Jesus' hands, in God's hands. Our insufficiency is made into abundance. I will offer what I have. I will, I will give God the, hand, the, the work of my hands. I will give him the, the resources in my bank account. I'll give him the time and my effort. I'll give him the compassion in my heart, even though it's not enough. And I'm going to trust that God is going to make it enough. And that he'll make it enough to sustain even 15,000 people. I believe, church, that we all have something that we have kept hidden away within ourselves. And we've not wanted to release it to God. That we've been keeping away something that, that God wants us to trust him with. And this morning, I want to challenge us to trust Him with those things. Every aspect of our life, every way that we feel insufficient, every, everything that we have that we can offer to Christ, 
He wants us to release it to Him. But are we willing to do so? In verses 10 and 11, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There were plenty of grass. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and distributed those to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. So between John's account and that, that of the uh, other Gospels, Jesus had them separate the crowd into groups of 50 and had them sit down. And then he told the disciples to take this bread and to distribute it to the, to the people. Imagine the disciples receiving this instruction. No, they, they have this little bit of food. They don't see the abundance yet, right? So God, uh, Jesus says, take this and go, and go have them sit down. But, but Jesus, we don't have any food to give them. Once we ask them to sit down, they're going to expect us to start bringing the plates around. Once we have them sit down, they're going to expect us to, to have our blessing and dig in. But we don't see any abundance yet. So where the disciples had failed their test of faith, they passed their test of obedience. They accounted for the men to be about 5,000, but that didn't include their families, right? Their, their wives, their children. So that, bring, that leads most scholars to believe thirteen to 15,000 people were there. They accounted for the men to be about 5,000, but maybe they only counted the men because we tend to eat a little more, amen? That's supposed to be funny. Okay. That's supposed to be funny. It didn't even make my wife laugh, so I guess I shouldn't put it in here. Um, but Jesus was doing something here. He was making them ready for something. He was making them ready to receive a miracle. Sit down and wait for it. Sit down and wait for it. Wait for the miracle. I'm preparing you to receive what I have to give you. So take a second and remember, or think about what the faces of the disciples might have been like. Maybe Jesus ripped up a little bit of bread, put it in this basket, and went down the line, lift up, put it in this one, put it in that one, put the lids on. And then when the disciples picked up their basket, take it over, it's a little heavier than it, than it should have been. And then they opened up that lid and they saw all that abundance. Just imagine the look of joy on their faces. Wow, he did this. I should have known. Where was my faith? Just imagine it. Jesus takes the bread and he lifts it up. He gives thanks for it. And Matthew's account says that he even goes as far as breaking it. He breaks the bread and has the disciples distribute it. Jesus broke the bread. The little bit of bread they had, Jesus broke it. No abundance yet. The disciples couldn't see the miracle yet, but Jesus broke it, had them give it away. They took the baskets of bread around to each of the group of 50 and gave them all that they wanted. Jesus' vision for this crowd of people went beyond what they needed. Amen? They needed to eat, sure, but they, he filled their bellies. Like he gave them all that they wanted and then some. He gave them all they wanted and then some. They needed to eat. He gave it all. Don't miss the symbolism here. What time of the year did we say it was in the beginning? It was the time of what? The Passover. The Passover festival. When the Jews would celebrate the day that God spared their children from the angel of death by paying the blood of an innocent 
perfect, without blemish, lamb over the doorposts of their homes. Jesus lifted the bread up, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it. Last week we celebrated something together. Right at the end of the service last week, what did we celebrate? Holy Communion. We celebrated Holy Communion where Jesus says, This is my body, broken, and this is my blood poured out for you. Taking of Jesus' broken body and that spilled blood in communion, Jesus lifted that bread up, he broke it, and he gave himself to the disciples to give to the crowd. You see the parallel? Each group of 50 represents a nation. Matthew 28, 19, Therefore go and make disciples of all what? Nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Can you see it? The miracle of Jesus feeding the 15,000 was much more than a miracle of food. It was, it was a foreshadowing of God's intention for the disciples that they would take this, this broken body of Jesus, this message of the gospel, this good news, out into the world and they would start churches. They would, they would, they would begin the spark that created all this Christianity that we've been celebrating for two, over 2,000 years. It's an image, a foreshadowing of what God's intention is for us. Take this bread, this broken body of Christ. Take this gospel. Pick up your basket. Take the good news of Jesus sacrificing himself into the world. Take it out there. Bring people to church. Bring youth to youth group. Bring children into the children's ministries and raise them up in the way they should go. This is our job, Christians. This is our job. God is saying it's time. In 2024, it's time. It's time to get up and spread the gospel like never before. At work, out shopping, in school, during your uh, sports games, during practices, during family gatherings and visits, even after your meetings, you are surrounded by opportunities to impact our culture with the gospel of Christ. How often do we overlook those? How often do we give in to anxiety and to fear? Mostly fear of judgment in our context. We don't face a whole lot of persecution over here in America. It's time. It's time to be obedient. It's time to pick up our baskets of bread and fish and to give freely to the hungry all the bread and fish that they don't even know exists. How many of you have been to Cracker Barrel right after a service? Okay, be honest. <laughs> Ever walked into walked into Cracker Barrel, even a restaurant? Okay, maybe you went to Sunny's over here. But when you walked in and you smelled that great fried food, and you realized how hungry you were, does that ever happen to you? Yeah. You walk in, you realize how hungry you took that first bite of that of that chicken, and you realize I'm going to devour this plate. <laughs> okay, maybe you experienced that over Christmas dinner. <laughs> You didn't realize how hungry you were. A lot of times, guys, this is how it is with the gospel. Somebody who is lost and they're not saved yet, they don't realize how much they need Jesus until they get that first taste. Until they get a sense of what this gospel is even about, that I am a sinner, 
that has inherited sin from the fall of humanity and that at the core of my being, all I want is to satisfy the sinful nature of the flesh. They don't realize that yet. And that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross to set us free from that sinful nature. They don't always know they need a Savior. But once they get a sense of it, then they realize how desperate they truly are. Because we cannot save ourselves. Even, even if we are to do all the good things that we could possibly do, our good deeds are as good as filthy rags in comparison to God's righteousness. We need a Savior. We are desperate for a Savior. He gave them all that they wanted. How much do you want Jesus? Do you want more of Jesus or do you want less of Jesus as we move into the new year? Do you, do you want to seek more of Christ and have his blessings in your life overflow into the bless, to, to be blessings in other people's lives? Or don't you? We're going to close up here in, in this last section, but John chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, walking through it. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. When they all had enough. When they all had enough. When the bread was torn and the disciples couldn't eat anymore, Jesus, or when the people couldn't eat anymore, Jesus had the disciples gather it all up, every single piece. How much did they get? Twelve basketfuls. The hands of those who serve the Lord do not go overlooked. Amen? The hands of those who serve the Lord do not go overlooked. Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish, and he made enough that left an entire basketful for each disciple. Twelve baskets, twelve disciples. More than they needed. While it's not given to us in the text, I just want you to imagine the, the, the baskets real quick. So in John's account, he gives us a Greek word that, that means that the baskets were kind of small. Okay? So we're looking at a basket about this size. It's still more than enough for, for what they needed. But then in Mark's account, Mark gives us a basket that's more of a duffel bag size. Okay? It would be like a traveling basket. This would have been what they might have called a lunch basket where they would pack in everything that they would need for that day. If they're going to be traveling. So they would have this. They'd wear it on their back. It'd have a lid on it and everything. Okay? So in my, in my point is not found in the significance of the basket size. But my point comes from asking why. Why gather up all those pieces? Could it be because our God cares about the details? Could it be that our God cares about even the smallest of details? Jesus says, let nothing be wasted. When I first read this years ago, it jumped off the page at me. And it brought me so much peace. It brought me so much comfort at that point in my life. Because I was making decisions about uh, finishing up school, maybe going on to school again. I was uh, thinking, am I ever going to get married? And who's going to be the right person? I was thinking about all these different things. I was even leaning on mistakes that I'd made in my past. God, I think you're calling me into ministry, but... I've got, I made all these mistakes. How in the world can you use me because of those? And Sawyer did such a great job portraying that in the video. It reminds me a lot of uh, a lot of Joseph. 
out of Genesis. But from that moment, I built a stronghold in my own heart that I'm going to trust God that He won't let any of my life experiences go to waste. He won't let any of my pain go to waste. Joseph in Genesis, he was, he was sold into slavery by his own brothers. And he was incarcerated under false accusations. And he stayed in prison for years. But God used him during every single moment. Immediately in the text, we see that, that Joseph was used to minister to some of his cellmates. But he was there for years. It's very possible that God used him to minister to other people, maybe prison guards or anything like that. But here's what God did. He took Joseph's lowest moment... And he lifted, he used it and lifted Joseph up to the second highest position in all of Egypt. Second only to Pharaoh. And through Joseph, he saved all of these people from drought, from famine. Joseph, by the end of it, was even able to reconcile with his family and see his father again. And is out of, out of that, that reconciliation that we get one of the most famous verses out of out of his out of his history which is what you meant for evil god turned for good he lets nothing go to waste all of our hardship or struggle pain and heartbreak god is using it to make you stronger to help you look to him instead of trying to rely on your own power or instead of trying to rely on the uh, support of someone else god wants all of you. He doesn't want just a piece. So how could we only want a piece of him? He says, let nothing be wasted. I have a challenging statement to make here. He says, let nothing be wasted. Stop looking at your hardship as a reason to play victim. Stop mourning lost opportunities because God is moving you closer and closer to Him despite our questionable decisions. Stop dwelling on the what could have beens and start looking to what God says will be. Surrender your heart and your mind to Christ and trust God to do a work in you. A work that makes Psalm 23 a reality. And I want to do something that we, we did it at the first service. That was the first time I've done it here in this church, but... I want to invite you to stand and us recite Psalm 23 together. I'll have it on the screen. Don't feel bad if you stumble through it. I'll probably stumble through it. But I'll try to lead you, lead you in nonetheless. So in 2023, we're going to believe this. That the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely... Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want to invite Jay to come on up as we prepare to close. But I want to extend, extend an invitation. Um, I'd love to pray for you if, 
if maybe you fit a couple of these categories, and it's categories you hear every week, but there might be someone here who's never accepted this good news, that Jesus Christ died on a cross to save you from the sin that you cannot pay for yourself. The Bible teaches us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that the Father raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's a scriptural promise. It's found in other places in scripture too, where it says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Or even in John uh, 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's all it takes. Belief. Belief. It's free grace that we don't deserve. If you haven't made that decision, I want to encourage you to do so. I'd love to pray for you if you want to take that step of faith. When it was shared with me, they told me that if, if I take that first step towards the altar, the Holy Spirit will bring me the rest of the way. And me being here is evidence that I found that to be true. <laughs> Maybe you're here and you've been struggling with a sin in your life. You're a Christian, but you've been struggling with a repetitive sin that you just can't seem to break. Maybe today you take a step, pray a prayer that resets your cycle. Maybe today you you come before your your church family and you gain their encouragement as you battle that temptation. I'd love to pray for you, and I'm sure there's other people around here that like to pray for you as well. And then the last thing I want to invite you to is if maybe you want to become a member of our church. We're not perfect. Pastor Todd says, he says, I'm not a perfect pastor, but we serve a perfect God. And I'll say my version, which is we're not a perfect staff, <laughs> all of us, but we, we work together the best we can and we try to tr- follow God and trust God with, with every aspect of our ministry here. And we would love for you to be a part of it. So if you might want to make this church your church home, we'd love to have you. Um, so as we sing this next song, meditate on that in your own hearts and I'd love to pray for you. Let's worship together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin a crimson stain he washed it white as snow Lord now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, 
I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow and when before the throne I stand in him complete Jesus died my soul to save my lips shall still Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Now, as far as I'm aware, I don't think we have anything going on this evening uh, for New Year's Eve, but I hope you guys have a great time with your families. I will shamelessly plug some youth group stuff, <laughs> but uh, we have our Christian sexuality class coming up very soon. Very soon. So if you haven't signed your, your student up for that, um, we're going to have a parent meeting, parent night, on, this, on Wednesday at 6. So if, if you're curious, you have questions before you sign anybody up, I totally understand. Like, come... And we'll talk, we'll ask, we'll ask some questions, we'll talk and, and figure all that stuff out, let you know the details of what this class is going to include. Um, we'll even discuss the timing of that class. Maybe the timing has you concerned because it's on Thursdays and not Wednesdays or Sundays. So we'll talk about it all. Just come see us on Wednesday night uh, at 6 in the library. Um, there's also, um, this, this Sunday is our Benevolent Sunday, so if you've come prepared, you can give, as, you can give to the Benevolence offering as you, uh, as you exit. Um, if you have not come prepared for that, that's fine. You can, I think you can also give online. Um, but yeah, just let somebody know. Um, all of our other announcements are out in our normal newsletters. You should have received one this morning in your email. Um, and everything else is also online. So if you have any questions, feel free to give us a call. Um, I'm going to invite our uh, Deacon of the Week to come on up and close us out in prayer. And then we'll sing, right? Then we'll sing. Thank you, guys. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this time that we could spend with you in your presence today. Help us remember that you have given us more than we can ever ask for or enjoy. Please help us to continue to turn our eyes to you in worship and in admiration. We thank you for the freedom that you put in us. And this we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. 
higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all sufficient grace for even me. Broader than the scope of my transgressions, sing it greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the praise. 